I want to talk to you about James chapter 1, verse 27. We are a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church. We believe the Word of God. The Bible is the very Word of God, inspired, Word-inspired, not just thought-inspired, but Word-inspired. It's very specific. The very, the very alphabet and the vocabulary was, was put there by God. Jesus said, jot and tittle. That would be like a crossing of a T and dotting of an I. Every jot and tittle will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth pass away before one little jot or tittle would not be come to pass. So is the Bible going to be exactly, exactly true when, when, the, when the whole dust settles? Yes, it will be. And you are not a fool at all by putting your trust in the Word of God. If somebody has told you the Bible is not reliable, they've simply lied to you. After 2,000 years of Christians giving their lives for Christ, if there was something not right in the Bible, don't you think by that time that people would have found it out, proved it false, and quit giving their lives for this book? They're still giving their lives worldwide. Still giving their lives for this book. Still giving their lives for the Word of God. It's true. Word of, words of God and the words of the book are true. You can, you can rely upon them. James chapter 1, verse 27 is a well-quoted, well-memorized, and often preached on verse. I was meditating. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just come by and give you a verse, and He won't let you get away from it. He just won't let you move away from it. I try to move another verse and just keep coming back to that. So for a couple days, God just kept putting this verse on my mind, and I kept going over it. And He was emphasizing to me the uh, last part of the verse, especially. And so we'll talk about that tonight. Hopefully, in some way, can enlighten. You can be enlightened and be encouraged to keep yourself unspotted from the world. Father, we just pray we come in the name above every name. Help us in this thing called life to be able to understand it, to be able to discern it. Lord God, you'd save us from the mouth of the lion, the dragon, as it were. And Father, give us uh, discernment of, of know the difference between good and bad and right and wrong. And God forbid that we'd ever call good evil and evil good. But Father, help us to be able to know what's right and what's wrong and be able to decide and not lose this thing, this great opportunity we have in front of us. Anoint uh, this preacher with your spirit and unction the power of God. Uh, may my humanity step aside. May the Holy Spirit take preeminence, and preside over this meeting in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the Bible mean when it tells us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world? Let me read the verse. Pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless. To And, and, and if I may say, put this together, to visit the widows when? In their affliction. So the fatherless and the widows, when they're in trouble and in affliction, that's when you need to be visiting them. And to keep and to keep himself or oneself unspotted from the world. I believe this is big. Of the three things mentioned in that verse, and it kind of takes you off guard. You know, visit the orphans and I'm an orphan. How many orphans in here tonight? Can we have a little? I'm an orphan. Um uh, the visit of the orphans, the people that are in trouble, don't have mom and dad to help them, 
don't have uh, a family per se to help them, close to them, and they're out there, orphans without a mom and dad, and probably some of the most helpless people in the world are these children that are being aborted. My, 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 my. Couldn't you even imagine something more helpless than an unborn child? And yet that unborn child is relying on the integrity of the mother to go through with the birth so that they can live. Are you glad your mother birthed you tonight? I have asked that question for year 30, since 73. And I never have gotten an honest, well, no, I wish you wouldn't have birthed me. I mean, I've gotten some facetious answers. But I haven't ever really got. Most people are glad that they were born, that parents put up with them. And, and you know what I say? I used to feel sorry for my mother. I really did. As a kid, I felt sorry for her. With, uh, Jim, Louie, and Bill put her through. It was no cakewalk. I saw that woman cry, cry, cry. Just cry. We made her cry in every direction uh, because of our, my brother's bad behavior. And I was the baby, you know. The baby can do no wrong. So the baby, my brothers used to say, well, you should have been here when, anyway, that's okay. But the best de definition of pure religion in the Bible is found here in James chapter 1, verse 27. Let's analyze the verse, define a few, define a few words, and, and put the application to it. Um, pure religion, what is that? It's practice of our faith. It is our worship of God. Worship is service. Worship is not just... Now, I'm not saying there isn't some element to praising God and raising your hands and saying, glory, 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 hallelujah. There's some element to that. But God would rather have you obeying His Word than a whole bunch of this. Are you with me? It, it, he, 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 doesn't get a, he doesn't get a real thrill out of you verbally praising him if your life is denying his word. In other words, disobeying what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, you can look this up, John 14. Uh, if, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 13, 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. You're friends of mine, he said, if you do whatsoever I command you. You got to get this straight. This thing about salvation, knowing Christ your Savior, is we're not two equals. He is our master. He is the God of all that is. And we're his children by grace, through faith, in what he did for us. We are in total debt to him. The Bible calls us debtors. We're debtors to God. We owe him everything. And consequently, when he asks us for our lives, our potential, that is, it should be some of the least we could give him. When he asks us to obey him, that's out of respect for who he is. If you respect God for who he is, you're simply obeying him, really. You don't have to understand it all. <laughs> My mom and dad used to tell me over and over, you don't have to understand what I tell you, you just need to do what I tell you, man. It's always good to be able to understand it, but ultimately, I needed to do it, trusting that they, they had some wisdom I didn't have that they understood stuff I didn't understand. That at, at 16 years old, I wasn't in possession of all knowledge. And so there were some things I didn't understand. The word undefiled. So pure religion, that's our practice of our faith, undefiled. Uh, that simply means unsoiled before God 
is to visit. The word visit means to inspect or to relieve. The fatherless, that means parentless. The help really referring to also helpless people, folks, widows, again, helpless, husbandless. In the third world, and in the world this Bible was written in, a husbandless woman was very, very vulnerable. She was vulnerable in every direction. There wasn't women today are not vulnerable. My oh my, eighty percent of the wealth of the United States of America is controlled by women. Why? Their husbands died. That's exactly what happened. Husbands, oftentimes men die before the ladies. Not that women don't make money or, or haven't made money, but traditionally women stayed home, raised their children, which is a, maybe the mo- highest calling they could possibly have. And and uh, you know so. I mean, I'm glad my mom raised me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Even though I told you I was an orphan, that's since my mom and dad died. But I mean, man, your mom and dad love you and, and, and raise your mom, sister, for raise you. That's fabulous. That's What a higher calling could you have? And so eventually the old man, I mean, the husband, he gets, uh, he dies average, what is it, average eight, ten years before the woman. And she inherits it all anyways. I always tell my wife, don't worry about anything. You're getting it all. And you can have it. Amen. You can have it. I get to go to heaven. Oh, you know, I said, heaven is a wonderful place, full of glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a beautiful, heaven is a wonderful place. I just felt like singing that. Um, but anyway, it says, visit them in their affliction, their trouble, their time of testing. Keep and keep himself, keep yourself unspotted. The word keep himself means to guard up, means to be on watch. Vito knows this, military guy. You know this, you're a Marine. Did you ever have to do uh, watches? You had to do your, you didn't fall asleep on your watch, amen? No. No, my dad, the Marine, my dad on the islands, on the islands under combat conditions. I had a watch, right? They were up, and, and they had a, every day the password changed. Every day the password changed. And his commanding, they were told to shoot without question. This is, on, this is in a combat situation. If anybody came and didn't know the password, just to shoot them. And so my dad was, was walking guard and, you know, that area, and his commander showed, his command is above him, just above him, showed up. And, and he said, who goes there? And the guy says, I'm sorry, but I forgot the password. He said, now, I had the option of shooting him. He said, but I recognized his voice. So I said, I said, I, boy, he said, he said, he had power over me all the rest of the time. But he said, right at that moment, he was in my control. And he said, I made him sweat a little bit. How dare you forget the password? Amen. But we're to keep watch. This means to guard up, to be on watch, to be attentive. Uh, and, and to keep yourself unspotted. That unspotted means to be without blemish. Uh, without blemish, to be clean. Some observances on the surface of this verse is serving God is upfront and open, knowable and doable. What could be as simple as James chapter 1, verse 27? Not some big, real, deep. What is pure religion? If I ask you, what is pure religion? Well, it's just three things. According to the Bible, now there, there may be other things the Bible adds to it, but in this place, there's three major things. Help the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. 
I love the Bible. It's doable. It's knowable. It's practical. It's something that you can put your teeth in and say, I, I got that. I got that. A young man can, a young woman can know that. An old man, old, old woman can know that. Um, everyone who names the name of Jesus can practice pure religion in this room tonight. Every one of you. The choice in this verse and the responsibility is on you and me. And I want to make this clear, not God. For those who claim a doctrine called fatalism, or I other, otherwise known as Calvinism, written by John Calvin, and by the Institutes of John Calvin, he wrote in his 20, early 20s. You shouldn't write anything in your 20s. You shouldn't write anything in your 20s because in your 60s you'll live to regret it. You'll say, oh man, I didn't have a grip on that. I, I shouldn't have written that. Uh, no, no, you should wait a while before you write a book on how to... There was a missionary... I won't mention any names. There was a missionary I knew. He went over to uh, Africa, and he was there just for a couple years, and he said he was writing a book on what's wrong with missions. I said, oh, don't do it. Thank God he called me. I said, whatever happens, whatever happens, don't you write a book about missions because you don't know anything about missions. He said, oh, yeah, I'm over here for two years. Two years, 35, 40 years down the road, write a book. And then somebody will read it with credibility. But nobody's going to give you any credibility two, three years in. And by the way, he came off the field 13 years down the road. I should have written him a book. So we, um, I, I, want to, I want you to notice uh, that the responsibility of this verse is on the believer to act it out, to do it. You can help people in need. It is actually your responsibility and my responsibility to find them and to help them. It is our responsibility to keep ourselves pure from the world, to keep ourselves unspotted, if I may say it like it did, from the world. What I'm trying to say in so many other places in the Bible the word mentions, and the Bible puts the responsibility on you and I, not on the sovereignty of God. Well, like, what I mean by fatalism is, I have been chosen, uh, whether I liked it or not, I was going to be saved, I was put here, uh, I was given certain things, talents or whatever, I'm going to live my life out and I'm going to have a certain reward, I really have no control over it. That's fatalism, Calvinism, in its essence. God is so sovereign that he gives you no free will. However, we say God is so sovereign that he can give us free will without this thing rolling out of control. Now, you've got to really be so sovereign to have that kind of control. To be able to control a 7 billion decision makers and still have the outcome come out where you, where you say it's going to come out. Now, that's sovereign. Amen. But if you if they're just a bunch of robots doing exactly what they're supposed to do because I told them to do that, then what's what's the big deal about that? What's it? What's what's the, what's the hardship? Of, no, it's crazy. So I looked a few things up. The book of Hebrews alone. The book of Hebrews alone. The word let us, L E T U S. Let us. Let me read you a few. It says, "Let us therefore fear." Hebrews four one. Now, what's, what's that mean? That means you and I are responsible. When the Bible says, let us, he's not saying let God do it. 
You do it. God's for it already. He's told you he's for it. Now you be for it, right? Put your, put your hand to the plow. So let us, therefore, fear, Hebrews 4.1. Let us labor, Hebrews 4.11. Let us hold fast, Hebrews 4.14. Let us come boldly, Hebrews 4.16. Let us go on to perfection, Hebrews 6.1. Let us draw near with a true heart, Hebrews 10.22. Let us hold fast, Hebrews 10.23. Let us consider, Hebrews 10.24. Let us lay aside every weight, Hebrews 12.1. Let us run with patience, the race is set before us, that one, Hebrews 12.1. Uh, let us have grace, uh, Hebrews 12.28. Let us go forth, Hebrews 13.3, 13, excuse me, 13.13. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise, Hebrews 13.15. That's just to mention a few in the Bible. These phrases are all over the New Testament, and every one of them indicates that you have a free will, and that you have the ability to say yes or no to God. I mean, really. All I can tell you, did Adam and Eve have a real free will? He put the trees there, two trees, and they ate off of the one. He put an angel to guard the other one because he says, if I don't do that, they're going to partake of that tree and live forever in this horrible condition they're at. And so they had the he, they had the free will of going and taking of that other tree, which would have given them eternal life in the degenerate state that they were in. And he, and he put a flaming sword, the Bible says, around it where they couldn't get to it. That's how much free will they had. They have free will. So let us, take, let us, if I may say that then, take a closer look at the third thing mentioned in our text and focusing in on this last thing that we have the freedom to do, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. That's what kept going over in my mind. This is what just kept running by me. Let me say, first of all, what is it not talking about? It is not talking about our positional sanctification. I'm already as, as good as in the heavenlies uh, in Christ. You understand the positional sanctification. When Christ saved you and you, you came to believe in him, and your, your name put down in the Lamb's book, you're as good as there by the grace of God. And, and positionally, but practically speaking, you're still here. And you still got lots of choices to still make before, here, before you get to go there. So there's a positional sanctification. There's a practical everyday life sanctification you live out. So it's not talking about that. It's not talking about our cleansing from all sin, as mentioned in 1 John 1.7. It is not talking about our washing from our sins in Revelation 1.5. Oh, that was a once-for-all, done deal when we got saved. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, But by which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. One of the objections that we have with uh, not only the Catholic Church, but the Episcopal Church and some others who believe communion Resacrifices the Lord Jesus. That if I just had that verse alone, He was sacrificed once for all. I mean, and there's other places that make it clear. Also, it's just a one-time sacrifice. Jesus Christ shed His blood. The Father accepted it. He took it to the uh, uh, heaven, put it on the mercy seat, and for all eternity, that blood uh, would would save and forgive everyone that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. So he's talking, but, but here he's talking about our daily practical lives in Christ. 
Life's a series of decisions. Boy, this is, this is wild. I, I, I pray oftentimes in the morning, Lord, may every decision I make today be from heaven. You know, when my wife and I go on a trip somewhere, you're, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable when you go on a trip, especially if you take a motorcycle. If you don't feel vulnerable, take a motorcycle trip. I mean, you can be killed 105 different ways. A deer can run out in front of you. A, a raccoon can run out in front of you. A rat can run out in front of you. I know a guy went down hitting a squirrel going 70 mile an hour on all fours. And uh, it doesn't take a lot. A piece of two by four in the road, you hit it just right, it'll throw you down. You went off the road one time, I believe it went down. You can have somebody turn in front of you. You can have somebody rear-end you at a stoplight. Uh, these are all things that happen when you ride motorcycles. You can have somebody not see you and come over in the lane, push you over and off the road. Uh, plus, your motorcycle can blow a tire, uh, especially if front tire is bad. Blow a tire. <clears throat> you can have a bird hit you. I'm trying to talk Chris Barrows out of buying a motorcycle right now. Remember when... Uh, I think you and I were behind Brother Moon, and he was riding, and it was in the Blue Ridge, and there were a lot of turkeys up there. And you understand when you put somebody out in front of you, you lose distance perspective. And so all he and I saw was this 15-pound turkey. Moon's going this way. We see this 15-pound turkey flying about the same height as his head. I don't think he saw him. Well, that 15-pound turkey would take your head off. I mean, going 60 miles, 50, 40, 30, 40, it's going to boom, you're going to take your head off. And so I'm just like, no. And what it was, the turkey was actually about 10 feet ahead of him. And so it was one time you and I were going right next to a woods, and there was a lot of deer in that woods. And one of those deer decided to run in front of me. And, and, and he ran literally, I'm going 45 mile an hour, and he ran six inches or less and just missed my front wheel. But a deer can hit you and kill you especially a buck with horns. Deers hit you. A, a deer just down the road in a course crew hit my wife's car. It hit my wife. Caused $5,000 damage. Amen. So I'm just trying to tell you, you understand your vulnerability. Amen. Brother Nick, no, you know about going out in shorts and flip-flops. Amen. Uh, you understand your vulnerability. You jump on that motorcycle. Now I'm not telling you don't ride a motorcycle. I'm not. I'm not telling you don't ride a motorcycle. I rode it. I'd be a hypocrite if I did. I rode over 10 years, all over the country, everywhere. Never had an accident. Never lost any skin. Uh, but, I mean, I understood every time I jumped on that thing, this is the last time I, I'm going to be on this earth. Or maybe I ripped my leg off or arm off. I had emergency worker people, emergency room trauma people tell me, you ride a motorcycle? I say, yeah. Oh. Do you have all your parts? I said, yeah. I says, well, we always know it's a motorcycle accident when they come in without some parts, like without a leg, without an arm, without this, because it just takes them off. And he says, when they hit stuff, I suppose that's true. I'm trying to encourage you, Brother Jimmy. Um, now, Jimmy, I would be worried if your wife keeps encouraging you to ride motorcycles. I mean, just, I just wonder about all that. But what did I say all that for? I said all that because... Guess what? I went to God every time I mounted up on that motorcycle and said, Lord Jesus, 
I give every decision. I'm going to make hundreds of decisions on this motorcycle. Turn left, directional, not directional, what lane to turn in. Please guide every decision. Guide every decision. And there's nothing wrong in life. You say, I'm not that vulnerable. Oh, yeah, you are. Oh, yes, you are. You say, well, I don't ride motorcycles. People die every day and trouble every day, crippled every day by hundreds of different stuff, thousands of different things. Amen? You got 95-year-olds out there don't remember what day it is out there driving cars. I'm not picking on old people, but you ought to be smart enough to know when not to drive. Well, that's good preaching. That's good preaching, man. Now, I got to respect my dad. One day, he just gave the keys, and he said, I'm not driving anymore. I said, well, God bless him. Praise the Lord. He said, I'm just, I just don't have the judgment I used to have. And he said, I'm not going to. Now, my mother? No, 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 no. She got six accidents before they doubled her insurance rate to ten grand a year. And I said, Mom, that's, your insurance is 10000 a year. That's a waste of money. She said, it's my money. You, I said, well, what about the 20-year-old, you cripple? How are you going to feel about that when you die with that on your conscience? She didn't care. She didn't. She said, I'm driving. And God, God have mercy on people like that. And finally, I called the doctor on her and said, whatever you do, take her license away from her. What will it cost? And he said, okay, I'll do it. And he got two doctors together and took her license away. And we disabled her car. I mean, you make decisions every day. This is just another decision you make to help the... Help the helpless, the hopeless, and the hapless. And on, with all of that, don't you take lightly mingling with the world. I'm going to explain myself. I explain myself. Life is a series, a series of decisions, and, and we do it every day. I think I made that clear enough. What music you listen to. What kind of influence you have in your life? What videos you watch? Uh, God tells us, and whatever you do, David said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Whatever you do, God tells us, understand one thing about whatever you do. you got the freedom to make decisions. But remember, understand, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Imagine with me, a person dressed up in total white. I'm talking a man wearing white shirt, white pants, white socks, white shoes. That is exactly the way I used to dress when I laid floor covering. I, they call me Mr. Clean. Because when I pick up your light beige carpet, solid color beige carpet, and I'm, I am hired as a carbon installer to put that in your home. And I show up at your house with white shirt, white pants, white shoes, white socks. You look at me and go, he's not dirty. I can look at him and see he doesn't have any grease on him. I can look at him 
and see he doesn't have any soot on him or soil on him so that when he's crawling around on my carpet, he gets my brand new 10, 15 grand worth of beige carpet that I just got to have. Um, dirty. That's what unspotted is. Now, if you looked at that same guy in that white outfit and you saw a big old grease mark on his knee and he's getting ready to kneel on that beautiful beige or almost white carpet that you want put in your house, which will, by the way, be too dirty to even keep after four or five years. Um, and he gets down on that. The first, you wait, stop. <clears throat> Don't. Man, you got a, you got a spot on your, 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 your pants there and, let me transfer over to my brand new carpet. I guarantee you, if you got any sense, you'd say that. You don't want no dirty, you don't want some old dirty looking individual running around, walking around, uh, not walking around, but crawling around on your carpet and stalling it. You don't want to do that. And God don't want his people spotted with the world. Why? He hates the world. You say, Bill, does God hate? Absolutely he hates. Absolutely he hates. The Bible says, love good and hate evil. Minor prophets. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things are in the world. All is in the world, the love of the Father, uh, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life, are not of the Father, but of the world. She said, if the world hated you, it hated me before it hated you. Basically, the world represents the antithesis of God. Are you with that? The opposite of whatever God is, the world, the world is that. I don't, I know we're born into this world. We crawl around in this world. We eat and breathe and have our being in this world. So a lot of times, you know, he's not, not, just so I make this clear, it's not the birds, the bees, and the flowers, and the trees, and the sky up above. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the sunsets, and he's not talking about the animals, and he's not talking about any of that kind of stuff. He's talking about the philosophy of this world. How it, how it, pampers the flesh. And if you know much about the Bible, especially Romans chapter 8, you haven't gotten there yet, but Romans chapter 8, the flesh is versus the spirit. It's versus the spirit. So there's no way that you can live in the flesh and please God. Amen, David? It's Bible, right? Romans 8. So if you're living with the, with the ideas and philosophies of this world, you're not pleasing God. And we just said this morning how different the ideas of God are compared to the ideas of the world. The ideas of the world says you need to make your own way. You need to step on people to get to the top. The Bible says die to yourself. Humble yourself. And I'll raise you up. And just go down through the list over and over and over. The, the, the propositions of the Bible to the Christian are so opposite the propositions of the world 
to us who are in the world. But we're not what? Of the world. We're not supposed to be of it. So he tells us to keep yourself from getting spotted. Keep yourself from getting stained. Keep yourself from having what's out in the world transferring into your life. It's not easy. This is not an easy verse. This is not always... This is something you need to pray about and ask God about regularly about. I still do. God, help me to see it. Help me to see it. So other places, 2 Corinthians, some of these boys are memorizing these verses, 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and what? I'll receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then in chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Having therefore these promises. What promises? The promises that started up there in verse 14 and came all the way to 18. Dearly beloved, let us. Oh my, there it is again. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What is holiness? God-likeness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What does that mean? That is who he is, stating who he is. So God's will is for us to separate from the old filth, the dirt, the grime, the sins of this world, not to look like it, smell like it, act like him, dress like him, talk like him. But it so easily infects us. It really does. It's infected the church at large through what they call Christian rock music or CCM. It is, it is displeasing God in the, in the greatest way you could displease God is to bring that which is used by the world and copy it and bring it into his holy worship and church. Nothing could insult God more than to do that. Nothing could do it. It'd be like having pole dancers, a couple pole dancers in here to get a crowd. You say, that's ridiculous. No, I'm not far off. I'm not far off. It's selling yourself to the world. And it's wrong. And we need to stop it. And we have the ability as born-again Christians in our individual lives to stop it. You have the choice-making ability to keep yourself. I want you to meditate on this thought. To keep yourself unspotted from the world. Let me tell you what that translates down to in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. It says, But in a great house there are, only, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also wood and earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. If you compromise yourself with the world, you take yourself out of God's hands to use, just like when I had those white pants, white socks, white shoes, and white shirt, once in a while they would get stained beyond repair. I don't have to throw them away. They were dishonored to me. They were, they were no longer useful for me. I would have to chuck them, say, well, i got to get a new pair of pants. Gotta, and oftentimes that did happen. I kept rotating them things. I said, Kathy, throw some more bleach on that thing. So she'd throw more bleach out, and then there wouldn't be anything there. Be like a hole in it. I guess you got that out. You got that stain out. Amen. 
So we choose, we can purge ourselves of these things and become a vessel of honor. What is a vessel of honor? It's a vessel that can be used at its highest and best use. A place of dignity for God, a place of effectiveness for God. But he cannot, and you will disqualify yourself from those uses by making yourself spotted with the world. Straight up and down. Easy to understand, and you can know it. So it's up to you. I ask you tonight, I postulate this question. What will it be for you? What will it be? You choose your own outcome. You choose the quality of vessel that you can have for God. You choose your eternal reward, your effectiveness, or your position in practical sanctification it is for Christ. Keep yourself, dear ones, dear ones. I don't think there's enough of this kind of preaching going on to worry about. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. I'm going to give you a short illustration. I'm done. When I was uh, from 14 years old to about 18 years old, I was deeply involved in drugs and rock music. I, uh, I loved rock music beyond what my words could explain it. Uh, I know no, you young people won't have a clue who these people are, but Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, Beatles, Rolling Stones, and on and on. And I just listened to them as often as I could on eight-track tapes. Had one in my car, one in my room, and I just kept that stuff going over my mind. Got me involved. The music really lent, pushed me and kind of encouraged me to do drugs, which I ended up doing. And psychedelic stuff and taking trips, and there it was horrible. I thought it was fun. Um, but God began to deeply convict me of my worldliness, of my polluting myself. And I was a born-again believer. And about 18 years old, through a series of things that I won't go into, God brought me back. And in my bedroom on 2003 Cassopolis Street in Elkhart, Indiana, about 10 o'clock at night, I was tripping out on LSD with seeing all kinds of horrid, demonic things. And this, little, this, this 18-year-old kid cried out for mercy. And God heard me and took me out of the miry pit and set my feet upon the solid rock, Christ Jesus. I knew immediately when he answered, because when he answered, all the pictures and things I was seeing and hearing as well, as well were gone. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen on a chemical like that. And I thought, wow. Absolutely quiet in the room. The room was black. It was peaceful and quiet. And I said, oh God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for listening to me. Immediately understood God wanted me to, and, and was giving me clear instruction 
to move away from everything I had been in. I knew that I could not maintain one foot in the world, one foot with Him. It was going to be all Him or nothing Him. Does not the, does the church of Laodicea, did He not say I'd rather have you be hot or cold? And so I immediately knew that my favorite friend had to go. My favorite friend. The music. The day the music died. And I said, it's over. And I just can't tell you how much I love to hear Jimi Hendrix play that guitar. And I said, it's over. I give it up. And I, I got rid of all that. I was stepping away from a love that I had for the world. And I said, God, I know I cannot live for you and keep doing this stuff the world's throwing by me. I can't. It cannot mingle. Oil and water, stir it up all you want. It always floats separate from each other. But I see Christians all the time that try to balance this balance act of a little bit of the world over here and then God over here. And they kind of try to do this balance act. You can't do it. There's not, a, there's not a successful way to do it. You'll cause yourself to be less effective and you'll cause God not to use you the way He could use you. Unless you give yourself 100% to Him. And man, it's a beautiful life. And at 27 years old, Jimi Hendrix suffocated on his own puke and went to hell. I'm glad I didn't follow him there. You say, what's that got to do with Christian rock? It's still, it's still just rock and roll. It wasn't the words. Half the time we couldn't understand the words. It was always the music. It was always the music. It wasn't the words. There's a group of people being raised up that are trying to justify that damnable stuff. I say damnable because it's from hell. God forbid that you get sucked into that. Don't you, don't you let it happen. I like it. Don't make any difference what you like. It's what God likes. Oh, I can worship God through that. No, you can't. You think you can, but you can't. You're self-deceived. This is good preaching. This is what you need to hear. You listen to the Holy Spirit as He speaks to you about that. See, you can deceive yourself because the Bible says, be not deceived. When the Bible says, be not deceived, what's it talking about? It's about you deceiving yourself. So you can deceive yourself. And you're able to do it. You're hurting yourself. The devil's out there doing the best he can to try to get you to pollute yourself where God will push you, push you away from his service because you're polluted. And if I may end with this, because you'll be spotted by the world. Help the widows. Help, help the orphans. And keep yourself unspotted. Unspotted from the world. Father, help us tonight. May the Holy Spirit do what I could not do. Oh, God, help us. We know the world's calling hard and heavy on everybody because he, the world, the devil, and the flesh know that if they can get you to be worldly, they get you to be useless. Father, help us as born-again believers to follow the pure religion, as the book says. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.